Welcome to the Faith Today podcast, conversations inspired by Canada's Christian magazine. Brian Dirksen is a singer, songwriter, and worship leader, and I think a Canadian treasure. His songs like Come, Now is the Time to Worship, and Faithful One have touched the hearts of lots of people around the world for years. I'm Karen Stiller. I have always wanted to interview Brian Dirksen, and I'm so glad I had the chance. He has a new project out now called Hymns for Life that you will probably love, and I think you're going to really like this conversation too. Brian, it's so wonderful to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Oh, you're so welcome. Glad to be with you. So I saw you uh, in concert years ago in Oshawa, and I did not grow up uh, in a culture that went to Christian music events. I did not grow up in sort of evangelicalism, I guess. And when I went to your um, appearance in Oshawa, I thought I was going to a concert, but I ended up going to what felt like a worship event. But I've also gone to um, what I thought was going to be a worship event and ended up being at a concert. (laughs) Not by you, I will add. And I wanted to ask you to help us sort through that sort of fuzzy line sometimes between concert and worship event or whatever you call it. Wow. I mean, I I think when we think of worship or when I think of worship, I think of things that are the most elemental things of life, like the breath, the in and out, the inhale and the exhale, the the giving of our heart to the other, um, to our maker, um, the vulnerability of that and all of that. And, um, you know, making music, expressing that in song is very, very precious and important to me. And, but I also recognize that there are, um, there are performance elements of that when you're uh, singing a song with other musicians, you know, you, you, you have to all be in the same key and in the same time and, 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 and have worked out an arrangement and then you're presenting it in a way so that other people can, can participate in, you're trying to remove barriers to their participation. And sometimes that participation may not be, anything physical it just may be that in their heart they're saying ah yes (laughs) you know i i identify this is what i i need slash want to say to my maker um but yeah so i'm i'm always aware that when i'm doing my live events i'm 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 doing both okay i'm 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 surrendering myself i'm i'm in an an act of worship, but I'm also in an act of putting on a public event that other people can access and participate in and that the concert element of that is there as well. So if you know your, uh, like the big, the big you, (laughs) or that you're going to be leading worship, what if you don't feel like it? I've always wondered that, like how, I mean, I guess that's where sort of being a professional kicks in, I'm sure, but how do you get your heart in the right place or does that just kind of come along? Sometimes it, 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 it comes along kicking and screaming uh, like a rebellious teenager in the sense that you just, 
don't want to be there, but you know that somebody's counting on you. I mean, I think I see, I grew up in a, in a type of family where if you were counted on for something, then it doesn't matter really what you're feeling. You just show up and you just start doing it and that you hope your feelings follow suit. Um, and, and often they do, but sometimes they, they don't. And I mean, sometimes it's actually not time to sing a song of joy. Sometimes it's, it's time to sing a song of lament or a song of grief, but that that's, that's a bit deeper than just, Oh, I don't feel like doing that, you know, this week. Uh, and that's not what you're asking per se. So um, yeah, our feelings are involved, but I also have learned to trust the preparation, you know, however many days or weeks before an event, when I'm preparing for something, opening myself up, hopefully to inspiration from God, and then preparing something that feels right. I just learned over time to just to trust that. So that when I, when I enter the physical place and all of a sudden I'm feeling completely not discombobulated or whatever, just feeling off. I just trust my preparation. And of course, occasionally then you go, I need to completely change gears because what I'm sensing now isn't just me feeling bad. It's that there's a different need in the room and I need to change gears. How do you sense that? Oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I, you talk about sense. I'm a sensitive person, I guess, by that. I just pick up things that I feel that I notice that I observe in people's body language to just this running inver- inner conversation I'm having with the spirit. How can I please you? What's on your heart? And sometimes I just get a little impression or sometimes I see something or something, times I hear something, you know, I mean, it's definitely not an exact uh, science or methodology. It's a very fluid journey of trust. You mentioned lament and I, I have lament written down on my page of questions here because I see you as someone who's really good at lament. And I wanted to ask you about that, how that has played a part in your writing life and and your leading worship too. Well, you know, practicing lament and leading lament has often put me, I would say, outside the camp, um, especially in the modern worship world. And the thing that's interesting about that is I was first drawn to practicing it and leading it, not out of personal pain and suffering, but out of just a a deep sense of calling that as I explored and dove into scripture, as I read about history, I began to realize that we live in a culture that's really good at celebrating people's successes and high points, but as it does very poorly at walking alongside the grieving and broken, and that the call in the scriptures, and I think the most healthy uh, human relationships are those that can do both really well, that can grieve with the grieving and celebrate with the celebrating. And so I had this deep feeling about the the injustice 
of the silencing of lament in our houses of faith, that the suffering enter our houses of worship and don't hear their song. They don't hear the song in their key. They don't hear the song in their in the poetry and in the lyrics. And I felt this was unjust, not because I was experiencing deep suffering. This is in my in my late teens, early twenties, but because I wanted to identify. And in that season I felt something very important and clear because I was feeling this pull to do music, to do Christian music, and even specifically to do worship music. And but I felt completely what I was wanted to do it was completely out of sync with what was popular. I spent long periods of time wrestling with God, asking God for direction. And out of that time, I felt he spoke two things to me. Lead worship with a whisper and sing over the suffering. Mm. And those two things have stuck with me for life. And I think now we're in a season where the modern worship expression and songbook has moved to practicing intensity over intimacy that we feel like somehow if we just get bigger and louder and more epic. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking some, of a couple of songs as you yeah, speak. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that somehow this will force the hand of God and convince people uh, that Jesus is who he says he is. And I felt like from the very beginning, my direction was to go in the opposite way, that to lead worship with a whisper. And that hasn't always been easy. And I haven't always, there have been times where I've almost given in to what is popular in culture because I want to stay involved in the conversation. I never feel fantastic about those things what i feel the most at, settled at home when i'm in essence and you understand this is a bit of a metaphor but when i'm whispering when i'm expressing things gently about the love of god and that phrase sing over the suffering was something i so from that point on every single time i walked into a, a church or my church or whatever and i would stand to lead I would always kind of with my physical eyes and the eyes of my spirit ask who's suffering in the room and where are they and what do they need? You know, they don't necessarily need the song, the shout of triumph. What they need is, is the tenderness of Christ and the gentle word, but the encouragement that they are loved. So then that kind of was the the beginning of me starting to explore the sound and the songs of lament and songs in minor keys and things that just by their musicality and by their lyrical makeup connected with people who are struggling. How have you resisted the temptation to be inside the camp? Like you said, you're kind of outside of that camp because you are, and I'm, I know you, have been successful. I, I, you are successful. I'm not saying that you're not, but you, you are in a vocation or an industry that you could be like huge, huge, if you want it to be probably if you played by the rules and did the formula and how have you resisted that temptation? Well, in some ways, the, the, <laughs> there's two things I will say right now that come to mind and answer to that question. One is I'm an artistic person. 
I'm shy, I'm introverted, but I'm artistic, and I'm also stubborn in my artistic sense. Like, if I don't feel like something is genuine and real and coming from my heart, I'm not interested. So that's been part of it. Like, even as big as popular as some other things have become, I'm actually not even remotely interested in them. So that's one thing. And the second thing is that my amazing wife, Joyce, we've been married 36 years, and our family, which includes two sons with special needs, have anchored me and rooted me in a way that stopped me from accepting many larger invitations. I had opportunity to move to the U.S., to move into the heart of kind of Christian musicdom, to tour with big artists, and all of those opportunities I said no to for the sake of my family, right? For the sake of sustaining the pace of life that we can manage. And I wasn't willing to sacrifice my family on the altar of of success in Christian music. My hats go off to some of those mega artists who have managed somehow the Michael W. Smiths of this world to maintain family and all of that. And all I know is my path has been a little different and I'm super grateful. And I've still, like you said, I've tasted of some success. I've had songs like Come Now is a Time of Worship to Worship kind of go around the world. And at one point that reached number one on CCLI of no effort of mine. But it was my expression, I could say, it's not really my 15 minutes of fame, but it's kind of like I had a little blip where <laughs> some of those songs really crested and had influence in the broader church. And then fairly quickly, the church moves on to other things. And I carry on being me, yeah. trying to lead worship with a whisper and sing over the suffering. And by the grace of God and the kindness of some parts of the church, I've been able to make a living doing what I love to do. And I'm super grateful for that. It's just the it's it's both who I am and who my family is that keeps me from some of those other things. Yeah. And so now with your 10th album, I think it is you've you've shifted your attention to some classic hymns. Tell us why you did that. Well, I did that um as a culmination I think of my of my writing journey that after 30 years of writing original songs and pouring my heart into them and at times those songs really connecting and at other times I feel like some of the songs that most represent my heart never connected and sometimes that's pretty hard because you you pour yourself into a project and it's ignored and you actually think it's your best work and it's ignored um and so there was that. I felt like I had done everything that I had wanted to do up to this point. And then, of course, the pandemic, COVID comes along. All my concerts are canceled. And I'm, I'm asking myself, what do I do? Just go into a corner and, you know, feel sorry for myself. How can I serve? And as I heard people releasing, oh, you know, this is the song that we need for this time of pandemic. And it's all, it's new song after new song. All of a sudden I go, maybe we need some old songs heard in a fresh way. What are the songs that have endured through all of the storms, through all of the changes? 
And, and of course, then I, I started thinking about my father, who's 84 and still singing, and what are the songs that have helped him in his life of faith for, you know, 60 years. And I just started sitting with, the, with a couple of hymnals and just singing on, by my piano with my guitar. And these hymns just became alive in me, like they were just living. <laughs> That's why, I mean, hymns for life, I call the project. And so I started picking out hymns that as soon as I started singing them were full of life for me. And I asked my dad, you know, what, what, what hymn would you like to sing? A new hymn, you, you know, we've been singing It Is Well together for years. What's another hymn you'd like to sing? And he chose Be Still My Soul, which has one of the most both beautiful melodies, Finlandia and, uh, and this... Um, incredible lyrics and you know just bit by bit i worked my way through i mean there were obviously hundreds and hundreds to pick from <laughs> and then, so then i had to narrow it down what am i going to narrow it down this connected to my life's calling about whispering and the suffering is i i deliberately chose not to sing the hymns that were all about the greatness and the almightiness of God. And I instead chose to sing hymns about the voice, this, this tender voice of love, about the way creation um, regenerates us just with its gentle beauty, that God is a refuge. And, you know, I, there were certain themes that I was drawn to, and, and out of all of those hymns, I had to keep narrowing it down. And your dad, what's it like to do that kind of singing with your dad when you get him involved? I mean, it looks joyful. There's an incredible life and joy in it. And for him, for me, the fact that he, he's 84, he calls himself a junior senior, you know, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's just, he's just in some ways unstoppable with his tenor voice. And I continue to marvel because I'm more of a bit more of a baritone and he's this soaring tenor. And because he keeps singing, he keeps being able to sing. And it's just one of the probably maybe the most precious way that I know my dad. These memories as a boy of Saturday evening and being literally in the exact place where I am speaking to you right now, just in the study off the dining room, which is now my study and used to be my dad's study. And he would come into this space and he would open up a hymnal and he would start reviewing the Sunday hymns on Saturday night to get ready to lead them at our little Mennonite church. So I have all these memories of that. So it was like this incredible joy to kind of, well, for me, like 50 years later, 45 years later after those memories, sing these hymns with my dad. So my dad sings four of the hymns with me on the album. He sings, It Is Well, he sings, Be Still My Soul, he sings, Morning Has Broken, and he sings, Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past. There's something about his voice and my voice when we do it together. It's There's something special about it. Oh, that is so cool. Uh, to prepare to speak with you today, I listened to a podcast that you recorded with. Uh, it was Between the Grooves podcast, and it's like three guys talking about their plans for 2020. <laughs> So it was, I don't know if you even remember that podcast, but it was, um, it was interesting to listen to it now, of course, because it was pre-pandemic. And, uh, but one of the things you said was that you were going to spend some of 2020 helping other creative people be creative. And I wondered, um, 
I don't know if you managed to do that or not, but I wanted to talk about how how you do that and how the church can nurture the arts more. What what advice can you give us? Well, first of all, I'll say that that is I've done some of that this year, some some one on one consultation with some songwriters and worship leaders. But the big project that I'm I'm trying to work my way towards has not yet launched, which is an online songwriting mentoring kind of program. And what happened in 2020 because of the pandemic was I had to pivot towards, okay, how do I share what I have and who I am with people when I can't go in person? And so that was the hymns album seven months of work and that was the online christmas special and the online easter special this spring both of which those two specials were about two to three months of full-time work wow um so to try and you know write a script come up with a concept film it record music all of the layers of it right mm-hmm. Um, but the way I think about it and the way I continue the trajectory of my life is like, I, I liken it to riding a bicycle, and that is with one foot and pedal I push down as I create and make art and express it and release it. And with the other pedal, I mentor and help others create art and release it and find their voice. And I go back and forth between doing and mentoring and doing and mentoring and I've, and you know, I'm the son of two educators. Okay. My dad was a teacher, a science teacher, a school principal. My mother was a kindergarten teacher. Education is in my bones, but not in a formal way. I've done bits, you know, I, I, I was an associate prof for a few years, uh, developing a songwriting program. But every time I've tried to really live in the more official academic world, I feel hemmed in in a way that isn't a match for me. So I'm preparing to launch an online program for anybody, wherever they are in the world, that wants mentoring and help as a creative songwriter. And I want to continue to say that how we make room for the arts is each of us that have made a life in art spend at least part of our energy opening our heart, our home, our time up and giving people access to ask questions, to learn principles. And it gives me incredible joy. Just the other day, one of my former students from my college songwriting program sent me an Instagram, you know, live video of a song she'd written. And I'm watching it and I'm almost just like tearing up because it's such a beautiful song. And I have a little part of that story because for a couple of years, in a very intensive way, I taught them how songwriting works and why it matters and and how to write with metaphors and how to how to work with melodies and yeah. It it it's I tell you it's actually one of the greatest joys of my life. And then to when one of those people puts out a product, I just get on my horn and I just like, Yoohoo, you know, like That's cool. That's really cool. I'd love to hear, just as we sort of uh, come to a close, what feeds your spirit? I know you are writing from a well of of good stuff. So like, what do you read? What do you listen to? Even just, you know, now, I understand that probably changes. But so what's feeding you now? 
Wow. Well, I mean, I'm 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 reading. Let's see, how many books am I reading right now? I'm a voracious reader. Um, history, historical fiction. Uh, Stephen R. Lawhead is, of course, one of my favorites. Um, I've read him since I was 20, and uh, every single book, if I, I'm looking up at my bookshelf here, I've got all <laughs> of his hardcover books. I just uh, started reading this amazing <gasps> book. I love it, uh, Art and Faith. Yeah. I'm also reading the story uh, of Eugene Peterson, A Burning in My Bones, that just came out last week. I bought it on Kindle. Um, reading that every night before I go to sleep, but I also bought a physical copy of that to loan that around just because I was fascinated by this account of Eugene Peterson. Yeah, I, I think I, I try and keep, you know, a combination of thought-provoking, maybe a novel. I, I recently read Serum by Edward Rutherford, which I found absolutely fascinating. It's like starts like about, you know, a hundred thousand years ago in prehistoric England and it goes all the way to the through Stonehenge to and just how culture in the in what is now the British Isles developed. It's fascinating. Like yeah. you know, so I'm I'm reading all kinds of stuff. <laughs> That's good. I always have a pile too. So I like And I'm it. and I'm listening to vinyl records. Okay. Oh. I'm a vinyl record collector. And I'm listening to both really old albums that I collect, and I also, you know, purchase new vinyl records from from singer songwriters, people that I obviously, I when I purchase a vinyl, I'm making a statement that I'm really that this artist really matters to me. That you know, I've got James Taylor, I, you know, and then I've got young singer songwriters like Luke Sital Singh or. And then there's some Christian artists like Andrew Peterson or The Brilliance um, that just move me. Steve Bell's latest album, Wouldn't You Like to Know? I mean, an, an incredible piece of art huh. and faith. In Memoriam, the song he wrote about the death of his dad is just unbelievable. So those are all of my vinyl record collections. When I was a prof, I had a tradition called vinyl at five, and I, I haven't been able to do it as much since I've left that rhythm of life. But Joyce sometimes will look at me and goes, it's five o'clock. Where's the vinyl record? You know, like put on a vinyl record, stop working. Oh, that's <laughs> you know? good. You know, that's just good. listen, open up the the, the fold and, and look at the lyrics, look at the artwork, let the music flow over you. You know, and sometimes instrumental music actually is one of the most inspiring things for me too. Hmm. So, so when you, I know, like for me as a writer, uh, one piece of advice I give to aspiring or you know beginning writers is read, just read, read, read. And sometimes when I'm reading, I know that if I could just sit down and write, I I feel like I could do something really good because I'm in some kind of a magical groove because of what I've been absorbing. Do you have that too? Yeah, and. Live music, there is nothing like live music to inspire a musician. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I would go see a live artist, uh, you know, Phil Keggy or James Taylor or somebody like that. And just the euphoria of that experience for several days after would spark me 
experimenting and writing with with music that I wouldn't have maybe thought of. Of course, what's interesting is you get inspired by others, as you do as a writer, and then when you go to write, it's still your voice, right? Yeah, you're not, yeah. you're not, you're, but you're, there's something about wind in the sails. When other people are, are excelling in their voice, it encourages you to take up your voice and write, however that is. And, exactly. And yeah. that, that is how I think we as artists, I think we need to find better and more ways to gather and encourage one another as artists across disciplines, you know, uh, literary writers, uh, songwriters, uh, painters, uh, filmmakers, actors, um, sculptors, you know, the more fellowship we can have together and the more we can, I mean, I have a dear friend, Leanna Clausen, used to be a music artist, now as a, as a visual artist and tactile, and she makes these incredible mugs. Huh. And, and we own about 10 of her mugs, and each one is a piece of art. And when I, I make chai from scratch every afternoon, grind the spices slowly, takes me an hour. But when I put pour that chai into that mug, I'm drinking out of a work of art, you know. And then I think of Leanna, and then, you know, all of those those ways of connecting, I think, are life-giving and valuable. Yeah, I love that. And as you were listing off all the different types of artists, I was thinking, um, yeah, the church can hold all those people in a beautiful way and connect them, ideally. Yeah, and one of the, I heard a pastor say this once, he says, how do you know a church is a safe, healthy place for people to be vulnerable and real with each other? He says, he says, one of the First signs is if any of the visual artists in that fellowship will display any of their paintings or their art in that space, because there's an incredible vulnerability to doing modern or different styles of visual art. And if they're willing to put that on display, and I was just sitting there going, wow. That's fascinating. Like, see, I'm a musical artist and I express myself in, in, in that place, but there's something because my content of my songs is spiritual and is rooted in, there's something expected about that. But if a visual artist feels safe to express themselves, that takes it, they takes the, the vulnerability level to another, you know, way. So yeah, we need to create safe places for vulnerability through the arts in our houses of worship and not rush to judgment about people's different artistic expressions. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.